Well, we continue uh, this morning in the book of Psalms, uh, having kicked off our sermon series uh, just a couple of weeks ago, our, our summer series, uh, kicking it off Memorial Day weekend. And, and we do so with a, a psalm that I, I think is quite appropriate for the summer season, uh, a season that is often marked by a, a change of pace. I mean, we even have that even in the, the worship rhythm of our church. Also, a season that for many is marked by a time off, time away, vacation and rest. And so today's psalm is a psalm about work and rest and faith. It's Psalm 127. Psalm 127, the first two verses, that's what we're going to look at. And if you're using the Bible under the chair in front of you, you'll find it on page 518. And this is a psalm that I like to return to from time to time. In fact, it's really a psalm that I need to come back to again and again and again. Why? Well, it's because I too often lose sight of, of who I am in Christ as God's beloved child. Lose a sense of my true identity in Him. I too often then in response to that, I too often grasp, through my own effort, I grasp to matter, to belong, to be significant, to be relevant, through my, my own work, my own effort, my own accomplishments. In other words, I too often lose sight of the gospel of God's grace in Jesus. And so, Psalm 127. Well, before we hear God's word, uh, let's go to him in prayer. Well, Lord, we do uh, come before you this morning, and we ask that you would hear our prayer. We thank you for revealing yourself to us in the very pages of Scripture, uh, for opening our eyes by the power of your Spirit. And so we come before you this day. Because we want to, and, and more so because we need to, see Jesus. And so we ask that now you would open your word to us, and us to your word. Amen. So Psalm 127, uh, verses 1 and 2. Hear the word of God. Unless the Lord, unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for God gives to his beloved this is God's Word. Well, today we're going to look at these two verses in two parts, uh, two gifts, uh, the gift of work and the gift of rest. And so work and rest, that's where we're headed. And we begin with the gift of work. And so when, when I think about work, I can't help but think about my first real summer job. 
Uh, it was a job that I, I held my uh, later days of high school and into my, my first year of college uh, during those summer months. And, and I worked on the loading docks of a mattress manufacturing company. Uh, worked with the, the shipping and receiving crew, uh, long, hard hours, lifting and loading, lifting and loading in the very hot and humid Georgia weather. And I remember one day when, when one of the guys that I worked with, he found out something about me that I really tried to hide from everybody. He found out that my dad owned the company. And he looked at me, and he shook his head, and he said, Camper, 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 why are you working back here? It is hot. It is miserable. This is hard work. What are you doing? What, what is your dad trying to do? Is he trying to teach you the value of a dollar? Because you know they got books on that. <laughs> and you could read that in the front office where it's air-conditioned. So just tell your dad to get you the dang book. Well, that wasn't going to happen, and I knew it. But it's because in the end, it was, it was not so much about me learning the value of a dollar, but more so about me learning the value of work. And so that begs the question then, what is work? Well, work is it's much bigger than a job much bigger than a paid position of regular employment. Uh, despite our, our culture's narrow definition, in, in that sense, our, our narrow definition of work is, is only that which we're paid to do. Uh, work includes any positive, productive activity. So a, a broader definition of work from a biblical perspective is given by John Stott. Work is the expenditure of energy, manual or mental, in the service of others, which brings fulfillment to the worker, blessing to the community, and glory to God. Work is the expenditure of energy, manual or mental, in the service of others, which brings fulfillment to the worker, blessing to the community, and glory to God. And so jobs can definitely fit within that scope, for sure. But also included would be the work of volunteers. Volunteers, uh, volunteering their time at, at churches for VBS, schools, hospitals, uh, the work of, of parents changing diapers, preparing meals, running errands, the work of the homeless, recycling a, a cart of aluminum cans, the work of students studying in school. And so we all know that work can be difficult, frustrating at times, but if we want to begin to understand the fullness of work, then Psalm 127 is a great place to be. And so Psalm 127 obviously starts with verse 1. And the assertion there, the assertion in verse 1 is that God works. Unless the Lord builds the house. Unless the Lord watches over the city. Unless the Lord. A, a phrase that presupposes that God works. He builds. 
He watches over. As Eugene Peterson notes, the Bible begins with the announcement, in the beginning, God created. The Bible begins, in the beginning, God created, not sat majestic in the heavens, not was filled with beauty and love. It says he created, he did something, he made something, he fashioned heaven and earth. And so the week of creation was a week of work. Therefore, work has dignity and purpose. And notice that work also precedes the fall. And so people created in God's image are to work and thus reflect God's character. Now, there's an important distinction uh, that that we need to make. So when, when we engage in work, we are to engage in work with God. Not without God, not apart from Him, and also not simply for God, but work with God. Work as it's meant to be is always done with Him. As the psalmist repeats, unless the Lord. The clear implication is this, if the Lord is building the house, then the people aren't building in vain. If the people are dependent on the Lord, working with Him, then their labor will be fruitful. Okay, now, some of you know, others maybe don't care, but we are in the midst of the NBA Finals, so it looks like it's about to be over. Uh, But headliner names uh, this year in the Finals, you've got Steph Curry, uh, Kevin Durant, though he's been injured for about a month, uh, Kawhi Leonard, Uh, Last year, you had LeBron James. Uh, My growing up years, it was always the favorite of Michael Jordan, you know, the greatest player of all time. So now, um, imagine for a moment that that I go over to the local playground. I I could go over to the basketball court in my own neighborhood, and I would say you would have to imagine that because I really don't do that. But imagine that I go over there to play some pickup basketball, just two on two. Now, I've got to say... Any of the the local kids in my neighborhood that got paired up with me, I would feel sorry for them. Uh, They would be truly playing in vain. But let's imagine for a moment that I go over there and I get paired up with Michael Jordan. In his prime, of course. But I get paired up with MJ. I mean, what would happen? Dude, we would dominate. We would be unstoppable because I'm playing with Mike. And everybody wants to be like Mike. Because if I'm playing with him against the kids in my neighborhood, I'm going to win. Like, no matter what. In other words, if MJ plays the game, then Camper doesn't play in vain. I know, cheesy. My kids liked it, though. Okay. So anyway, here what we read is, is this. If the Lord is building the house then we aren't building in vain. If we are dependent on the Lord working with Him, then our labor will be fruitful. But our problem is this. 
Our work goes wrong when we lose touch with the God who works. Our work goes wrong when God is not central to our work. When it's not about God, but it becomes about us. When we become the center. When we become the center of our work, then ultimately what we do is in vain. And note that three times the psalmist uses the word vain, meaning empty, purposeless. When our work is about us, self-centered, self-reliant, all about me, then we are the ones acting as if we are God, building our own little kingdom, ultimately in vain. When we rise up early and go late to rest, day after day after day after day, then we have become the center of our lives, acting as if we are God. Now that doesn't mean that there aren't seasons of long days. There are. Sometimes there are very long seasons of very long days and short nights, but the question is, is that your norm? Is that your M.O.? Is that what you live for? So I I remember the the young CEO of a a startup company uh, years ago uh, made lots of money. Uh, When when I first met him, he was in his uh, late 30s. Worked long, hard hours every single day. He would rise up early and go late to rest day after day after day. And so when I first met him, he was married and had one child. And I remember when his second child was born. And he just kept working away long, long days, day after day. And so he, and he had a lawyer friend of his who just said, hey, man, stop working You've got a new baby. Go home. Go take some time and be with your new baby. And what I'll never forget was his reply. He said, I'm already with my baby. This new company is my new baby. You see, he had become the center of his life, acting as if he were God. Now, yes, there was food on the table, uh, clothes for everybody in his family to wear, but he was overly stressed, he was hurtful of others, and just getting to know him, he was just, he was generally lost and empty. Because you see, apart from God, what does it say? Our work becomes anxious toil. As biblical scholar uh, Derek Kidner puts it, Verse 2 underlines the fact that to work still harder is no answer to it. That can be a fresh enslavement. It's not simply that our projects will fail. There is at least bread to show for them, but that they lead nowhere. In terms of verse 1, the house and city may survive, but were they worth building in the first place? Is the focus of your life getting to the top? However you define that. And and it doesn't have to just be in your job. 
It could be in a place where you volunteer in an area of service. But is it always this goal of being at the top? That is what I am aiming for. Are you climbing this ladder of success? But what happens when you get to the top and you find out that the ladder is leaning against the wrong building? Again, it is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil. So then, do we simply not work? Well, that would miss the point. Because again, we were created to work. But our work goes wrong when we lose touch with the God who works. Now, Peterson continues, uh, Work goes wrong both when we work anxiously and when we don't work at all. When we become frantic and compulsive in our work and when we become indolent and lethargic in our work. The foundational truth is that work is good. It's not some necessary evil that we've got to do to get to get the things that we need. If God does it, then it must be good. And so work has dignity and work has purpose. Work is a good, good gift. A good gift from God to be enjoyed as he intended when he is at the center. And so how? How then do we keep God at the center of our work? Well, that leads to our next point. The other gift. The gift of rest. So let's, let's talk about the gift of rest. Without rest, our labor becomes anxious toil. That's what the psalmist is getting at. It becomes anxious toil and is ultimately in vain. The psalmist sees relentless compulsive work habits, which our society rewards and admires, but the psalmist sees them as being a sign of, of weak faith and assertive pride. As if God could not be trusted to accomplish his will. As if God could not be trusted to build and watch over our lives. As if we could control the world around us by our own effort. Rest is a gift. It's a gift to be opened and enjoyed and in it to be reminded that someone else is in control. And that someone else is working all things for good. Now, I've mentioned uh, Eugene Peterson uh, a couple of times already. He was, he was what we called one of the celebrity professors at my seminary, which really meant he just got quoted a lot. So everybody went around quoting Peterson. And one of the more challenging Peterson quotes I heard is this. The person who is unable to rest one full day each week takes themselves far too seriously. And I first heard this quote as a grad student, studying seven days a week. Really, studying eight days a week if I could. I mean, there was so much to do, right? I didn't have time to rest. 
I had this compressed amount of time. I needed to get this done. And then someone has to quote. The person who is unable to rest one full day each week takes themselves far too seriously. As if it's up to me to make life work. As if God is not seated on the throne. Then I remember a friend challenged me. Camper, do you trust God enough to take off four blocks of time in a row? Okay, four blocks of time in a row. And this is what he meant. So if you think about our waking hours in terms of blocks, our our waking hours as morning, afternoon, and evening, can you take off four of those in a row? Okay, it doesn't matter where you start. The question is, can you do it? Will you trust God with it? And so for many, it might be Saturday evening, Sunday morning, Sunday afternoon, Sunday evening. Back to your regular work on Monday. Uh, For pastors, and this is what Dennis and I try to do, Sunday evening, Monday morning, Monday afternoon, Monday evening, and then back to work on Tuesday. Do I trust God enough to really rest? Again, the person who is unable to rest one full day each week takes themselves far too seriously and doesn't take God seriously enough. Now again, yes, there are times that rest is hard to come by. We have all experienced that. We live in a broken, fallen world. There are times when rest is hard to come by, but we weren't created to overwork and overwork and overwork. And there's a, there's a wonderful Japanese word that captures this. A a, a word that that speaks very well to the problem of overwork and thus the need to rest. And the word is karoshi. Karoshi. Ka, meaning too much. Ro, meaning work. Shi, meaning death. Karoshi. Too much work, death. Or death from overwork. Okay, in fact, the Japanese Ministry of Labor began keeping a statistic on this in 1987. It began being listed as a cause of death. Yes, since 1987, the Japanese Ministry of Labor has said, what did this person die of? Kuroshi, overwork, too much work, death. Because you see, while we were created for work, we were also created for rest. And we see it there at the very end of verse 2. What does it say? For God gives to his beloved sleep. God gives sleep to his beloved children. What a wonderful gift. Sleep. God gives us rest as the children he loves. We do not have to carry the weight of the world 
on our shoulders, but rather can trust God as we work with Him and also rest in Him. Because you see, rest is a sign of great trust, an expression of deep, abiding faith. So when I was 16 years old, uh, going to this summer job at times, but when I was 16 years old, and Heather and I were just talking about this the other day, but I think about my first car, it was this old, used 1976 Buick Electra. Now, it was a beast, okay? Uh, A huge car. Under the hood, I don't really know a whole lot about cars, but I did know this. Under the hood was a 455 engine, which is a big honking engine. Now, why did it have that? Because the car weighed nearly 5,000 pounds. That's what what a truck would weigh today. This was a two-door, 5,000-pound car. So it needed this engine, which gave it a little get-up-and-go, which I didn't mind. Now, it was a long, sleek car. It was white and had maroon leather interior. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Uh, It was fully loaded, you know, from when it had first been produced years earlier, uh, but fully loaded with all the bells and whistles of that day. And one of the bells and whistles was located near the speedometer. And it was called the speed alert. Now I did check with Dalton Hilton uh, last week to ask, Dalton, is that what that thing is really called? And he's like, yeah, it's a speed alert. And uh, he reminded me how it worked, but it was, a, it was a dial near the speedometer, and you could turn it and you could set it for a particular speed. So let's just say for illustrative purposes that you would set it at 55 miles per hour. So that meant that whenever your speed approached 55, right before you hit it, this annoying buzz went off. Just, and, you know, to, to say, just slow down. You're, you're, you're hitting the limit. Now, for full transparency, I did not make use of that option on my car. But if I had, it would have alerted me to the need to slow down, which would have been helpful a few times. But I want you to think about it like that for just a moment, okay? So when when you think about it like that, this is what we've got. Then anxious toil is putting the pedal to the metal. It is driving as fast as you can as if it's all up to you. And then rest becomes the proper response to the speed alert of God's word. Here, Psalm 127. And then rest is taking our foot off the pedal, slowing down, gaining perspective, and realizing that there is a God we can rely on for all that we need. In fact, rest is faith in action. I mean, how's that for a paradox? Rest is faith in action because it reflects dependence on God. Now, that doesn't mean it's easy. Faith isn't always easy. If you've been on the journey long enough, you know that. Well, neither is rest, but it's necessary. We desperately need it, and God gives it to us as a gift. As a gift to you, as a gift to me, 
we might trust him more. But the question is, will we receive the gift? Will you open it and enjoy it? For God gives to his beloved sleep. Now, those of you who love articulating things in terms of uh, Reformed theology, you're, you're going to appreciate this perspective. Uh, it, it, as put by pastor and professor Paul Stevens. Uh, he writes this. Justification by grace through faith leads to justification expressed in sleep. Resting in Christ's finished work on the cross. Resting in God's sovereign care over all things. Resting in the Spirit's ongoing, creative, restorative ministry. Yes, failure to sleep may at times have physiological causes, but so often insomnia has its roots in one's theology. So the gift is rest in the Lord. And in that sense, the gospel of Jesus can literally put a person to sleep. Again, while we were created for work, we were also created for rest. Unless the Lord, unless the Lord builds the house, Those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil. For God gives to his beloved sleep. Jesus says to you and to me, Jesus says, come, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden. Come, come to me, and I will give you rest. And so let's go to him now in prayer. Lord Jesus, we come to you now giving you thanks that we were created to work with you and rest in you through faith. Help us to trust you more, that we might do so in such a way that blesses others and brings you glory as we enjoy you, our Lord and Savior, in whose name we pray. Amen.